you're listening to Whiskey Tango Foxtrot with your host, Maddie Combat. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. We are in season two, and season two is an odd thing because it's happening during the lockdown from COVID-19, which has forced us to adopt some new technologies and some new ways of connecting with people that are uh, otherwise that I don't run into that often. Now, this week's guest is somebody that I very fortunately do run into quite often. And the very first time I ever met this lady, uh, I got to tell you, I was intimidated uh, maybe more than by anybody else in this industry. I, and I think because there's a lot that comes along with her uh, appearance, her persona, who, who people assign to her. But, you know, once I got to know her, uh, she just couldn't be more down to earth and more amazing. I am talking, of course, about the enigmatic and exciting Tabitha Coffee. Now, Tabitha Coffee, uh, for those of you that are old enough to remember, was of course the star of Tabitha's Salon Takeover. There was not a stylist or a, a salon owner in the world that didn't in the back of their mind somehow dread her coming into their shop uh, to show them all the things that they were missing out on. But also uh, is an author of some exceptionally uh, amazing books uh, about our industry and, and just generally about life in general. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk to her. I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Miss Tabitha Coffey. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. What a great intro. I love that. And I'm so excited to be here. This has I'm, been a long time in the making. Well, we've been trying to do this for a while now. And unfortunately, uh, you know, we missed each other at the last show and, and we've been wanting to sit down together. But, uh, you know, amidst the social distancing, uh, I think this is this is probably going to be the best we can get for now. Yeah, it's perfect. We'll see. We'll see each other somewhere. Now, how, how are you holding up, first of all? How, how are things going for you? Where are you uh, hibernating, quarantining, you know, locking yourself down? Where are you right now? So I'm at home in New Jersey. Um, it's, look, it's a roller coaster, right? It's a roller coaster for everyone. And I think we all go through these waves. When it first happened, it was clean out your closets, you know, get your stuff together, clean out all this stuff, organize everything. Then we got into all this education, which is amazing. And now people are starting to hit this wall, um, myself included. And I think it changes sometimes hour by hour or at least daily. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? I, I know everybody's immediate response was to hit the ground running, be really proactive and positive and, yeah. and, or, or be abjectly negative. It seems to throw people into like one of two extremes. Uh, I know my first initial response was, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to help? You know, how are we going to cheer on everybody and make sure everybody's okay? But it gets exhausting after a while, doesn't it? When there's no foreseeable end, when there's no legitimate light at the end of that tunnel, even though we know the light is there, it, we're not sure how far away. Yeah, I think that's the challenge, right? Like everyone is scared. I don't care who you are. You're scared. You're scared because change is scary and we're facing an unbelievable amount of change and it's happened really quickly and we don't know what that change is really going to look like when we come out. We're scared because of health. We're scared for our businesses and our clients and all of these things. And that makes it really challenging. Um, and it is the point where everyone is hitting the wall. I mean, I find, I talk about this a lot and I know it sounds weird. I find a lot of solace in the fact that everyone's going through it, not because I want everyone to suffer, but it also doesn't allow me, not that I ever play a victim, but it does not allow me to play a victim, yeah. right? Because some people are going through much harder than I am. 
Yeah, it's true. The self-pity is is somewhat staved off by the, the sympathy that we have for those around us, or maybe just a, a renewed sense of empathy for what we're all collectively going through. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I'm sure you do the same. I have family in Australia. I have friends in Italy. I, I talk to hairdressers all over the world. It's the only thing I have ever witnessed or any of us have, I think, in our lifetime that has stopped the world. And that makes me feel incredibly connected to so many people. And in that connection, I actually find some solace and I find a lot of hope um, and I find a lot of optimism. Yeah, you know, I really agree with that. I find that for the first time ever, my friends and I uh, are going through the same thing at the same time uh, from all over the world. And and I think that we're an, in an industry that has always been very keenly aware of the compartmentalization of, of areas, you know, with the, especially before the globalization happened with the internet and all that, when we used to look at all these fashion centers for inspiration, mm -hmm. and they just seem so far ahead of us all, and, you know, it'd be trickling down, and, and then everything kind of caught up a little bit all at once, and now, for the first time ever, we're going through a shared experience. Uh, do you think that's going to have positive effects or sorry, like a positive outcome for the industry? Yeah, I really do. I mean, I look, I think the amount of people that are doing such incredible work online and trying to keep people motivated and sharing from all over the world. Um, I know for myself being able to go online and have a conversation with a hairdresser in the U S in Australia, in Switzerland, in Italy, in Spain, and we can all have a conversation together is incredible because we're sharing what we're going through right now, but also how we get out of it, what we love about our industry, how our businesses run, what we do. And that's really uplifting for everyone. So I actually think it will um, shrink our world in yep. many ways. And I think that's a really great thing. I think it's also really interesting that the only way that this can happen, uh, you know, to get that information from these people, that time to share is the, the situation currently where we're collectively forced to stop and take a breath. I mean, I know you are busy and I, cause I see you at everything. And so, and I know how busy I am and, and it's interesting to have this forced downtime to be able to have those conversations, to make the time to reach out to those people and sit down. And I know you're doing one every day right now at, at between one and two o'clock. Is that right? Yeah, I do a daily every day. Um, and it's honestly just to keep people positive and motivated and uplifted and, and share with each other. And it's a conversation. So I just bring people into the conversation randomly, which is really great. Interestingly, I had started an initiative in January mm -hmm. um, called Conversations with Tabitha. And I really wanted to connect with hairdressers and I really wanted to connect in a way that I could give them what was valuable but I could also find out what they needed. And I started to get really frustrated by people saying, oh, you should do a class on this. Oh, you should teach that. Oh, this is what you should talk about. It was really annoying to me. Yeah, I get those. And often, <laughs> yeah, and often the people that tell you, and no disrespect to anyone, they're people sitting in offices, yeah. right, that aren't actually going into salons or talking to hairdressers. Hmm. And I they started the initiative to really reach out and go, you know what, I think I know what hairdressers need, but I'm honestly not 100% sure. So let me have a conversation with everyone and find out what the celebrations are, what the struggles are, where they need support, where they feel supported enough. 
Um, little did I know we would be here right now. So I'm actually talking to 10 to 15 hairdressers a day besides the lives um, and just kind of talking about their businesses, where we're at, what they need, what they're struggling with and letting them feel supported. That's incredible. I've, I've been doing that on a much smaller level. Uh, a lot of people have been reaching out to us and I've been trying to give them whatever advice I can. But I think you have a very unique ability to be concise and tell people uh, the truth, which in an industry uh, or in a climate like this can be very difficult. Uh, I, and I think it's kind of always been your hallmark. Uh, I think some people, when you were uh, on television, when you were doing Tab of the Salon Takeover, I think some people just thought you were very abrupt and negative, but uh, you're, mm-hmm. just, you're just incredibly honest and it's refreshing, to be honest. It's, it's refreshing. Uh, is that something that's always been part of your personality? It really has. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. It has, has it ever gotten you in trouble? <laughs> All the friggin' time. <laughs> Pick a day. <laughs> Pick an hour. Um, yeah, I still get in trouble over it. Yeah, I've always, I've always been really honest. And, you know, my mother was really honest, and that's obviously where it came from. So nothing was ever sugar-coated, and nothing was ever made pretty, you know? So yeah. even, and not to be negative, but, you know, my father left when I was a young kid. And my mother literally came home, went, see, your father's gone. I don't know where he is. We'll probably never see him again. And we're just going to move ahead. Right. So it was this um, really matter of fact, just kind of here are the facts. And then we'll process it later. Incredibly frank. That was kind of the role model for me. And I've always found that if I don't do something from trust and from honesty, right, for me, it never works out. I have to be really honest with myself about what do I want? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And I also feel like, especially in the show context, if I wasn't honest with people, I couldn't help them. And I really wanted to help them. Mm-hmm. And it really meant a lot to me. And television made me a very one dimensional person mm-hmm. because you didn't get the opportunity to see the other parts of my personality or character or thought process. Um, but it was always done in the vein of trying to help people and move them forward. You just didn't kind of get to see some of the other softer, touchier moments with it. I find it hard to believe that television sensationalizes things. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, yes. I think that there's something there, though. I mean, I, I, I love the frankness. I love the, the honesty. I feel uh, I'm not sure how you feel about things, but I feel like today's social climate is very much not about being frank and straightforward with people. I think that everything is made uh, much softer. Um, and, and I think it causes problems for people uh, when they're met with real adversity. Yeah, I do as well. Like I think there was a study that I found really interesting about Instagram Mm -hmm. and it pertained to young, you know, teenage tween girls saying that it caused such depression because everything that was posted was so positive and so shiny and so pretty and so great. And the girls that didn't have that life or didn't look like that person or couldn't achieve those things fell into this deep depression because they translated those posts as real life, sure. not as someone just putting the pretty shit out. Yeah. And life isn't always pretty and we all have struggles and we all have adversity and we all have things that we have to work through and be honest about and navigate the waters of right in business and in real life. And I think when more people are really honest about it, mm. it, 
lets other people be honest. You know, if I can be honest about the stuff I go through, it gives other people permission to be honest as well and try and work it out or think, oh my God, I'm not alone, right? Someone else feels that way or someone else had those challenges. That's okay for me. And I think that's really important, especially in this industry, but as any kind of leader, it's nothing shiny all the time. It just can't be. I I posted something this morning uh, that I've been thinking about a lot and um, it's really about the dichotomy between um, happiness and, and struggle and how the two need each other to coexist easiest way of putting it together is there can be, uh, or sorry, without struggle, there can be no victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the interesting thing about that is we're, we're all throughout our lives looking for that challenge. We're looking for that thing to rise to the occasion and overcome because on the other side of it is where we perceive happiness to be. And so even if we're living our best life and everything looks bright and shiny, everyone still looks for the problems in their own life because they think that their happiness is sitting on the other side of those. And so it's, it's an interesting thing because I think that Instagram has caused a, a, a disruption in the way that we communicate with each other. But I also think it's caused uh, almost like a dysmorphia in the way that we view our own lives. Um, yeah. I, I think industry as well, not just for young tween girls, but I see it play out in the hairdressing industry uh, all the time. Do you, have you noticed that? Oh my God, all the time. I work with so many clients or do speaking events and have so many hairdressers. And the only thing that they think about is how many likes they get. Mm. Because if they don't have enough likes, they don't think they're valuable or worthy or doing work that's good enough. Yeah. And it's, it's always this process that I work them through. Why are you posting on Instagram? Are you posting for other hairdressers to look at you? Or are you posting for your clients to look at you? What is the conversation you want to have? Why does some, you know, little red heart mean that you're better than someone else? Why does having more mean that you're better than someone else? Why does having this amount of followers, why is that the holy grail? Mm -hmm. Are they really interactive? Are they talking to you? Are they really following you? Did they buy them? Mm -hmm. Right? Is is it organic growth? I mean, there's... There's a These whole are... bunch of questions to all of that. Yeah. But the fact that we wrap our worth up in this pretty picture, and let's face it, and I do it as well. So, I mean, I don't post that many pictures of me. I do a lot of positive quotes. But when we do it, most of the time we put a picture that, yeah, it looks nice, right? Mm-hmm. We give it a little love. We, we make it look nice and that's okay. But we can't just base it on that. Yeah. You have to go beneath the surface. That's where all the good shit is, right? The I, good stuff's beneath the surface. Totally agree. And I think it's interesting. I, I've always maintained that every, every haircut, you know what I mean, only ever really requires one like, and it's the person who's wearing it. That's it. Uh, mm-hmm. it that, that's what makes it a good haircut. And we need to stop judging ourselves by how many likes we get. But one of the interesting things is it's created a false identity, I think, for or aspiration for people uh, that are trying to achieve a certain station in the industry um, based on, you know, their Instagram following. And uh, it's a thing that I I think is very quickly um, thinning out. You know, I, I think that 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 influencer vein has kind of run its cycle, and and uh, the educational aspect of things, and and the the pseudo rock star, I think that people think is is that person. Um, I think once they get there, they're kind of realizing, oh, it's not really, you know, and and it's starting to kind of thin out a little bit. Um, 
I think the COVID-19 situation uh, that we have right now is, is going to provide a similar thinning uh, for our industry. I think a lot of businesses are going to have a really hard time surviving uh, this shutdown for lack of preparation or maybe just situationally that they're new and, and didn't have the tenure or the, the duration. Um, I, I think a lot of people are going to be in, in a really rough patch uh, on the other side of this. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, that's the concern for me because everyone has a different situation. So I love, I love a good business class and I love to talk about systems and I love to talk about, I call it a swimming pool fund, right? Mm -hmm. You always put money away for a rainy day fund. And when you're a business owner, you never know what's going to happen. We could never have banked on this happening, No. but we always have to know something will happen. Um, and I think a lot of independent people may struggle with this because they're living paycheck to paycheck. I've spoken to a lot of people that are starting to question their career. And that really bothers me because I know they have passion. I can hear their passion. I know that they want to do this, but they're questioning whether they made the right choice and whether they can survive it and what it's going to look like coming out. And there are a lot of the things that really, really bother me because this isn't, not that it makes it any better, but this isn't a judgment on were you or were you not a good business owner? Mm-hmm. I guess one could argue if you had prepared for a situation that you were ahead of the game, mm-hmm. but people may have prepared for pipe bursting, right? Or a snowstorm that closed them down for a while. To be honest, none of us prepared for this because we, who would have thought a pandemic would hit? So there are a lot of people out there that are again, evaluating their worth, listening to a lot of noise because there's a lot of noise going on right now about people telling you what you should be doing, how you should be feeling, what you shouldn't be doing, what you, you know, all the stuff that everyone has an opinion about and people are really questioning a, should I stay in this profession? Um, or B I suck as a business owner because I didn't have my ducks in a row for this situation and neither are really true. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually agree with that. I think it's interesting um, how it's easy to internalize these things though, uh, because I think a lot of people in this industry have what we call um, an imposter syndrome. You know, uh, very early when we start out, uh, we're taught to do this thing called fake it till you make it, right? And, and unfortunately, that, that kind of thought process usually leads to uh, established people that have a, an imposter syndrome where they think, but I just made this up. I don't really know what I'm doing. Because we're an industry full of people that are, have frighteningly small business education and massive uh, education when it comes to styling, cutting, and all the things, all the, all the operational aspect of what we do behind the chair, but not necessarily what we do to operate a business. Uh, and that's something that you are, uh, you know, maybe one of the foremost leading experts on in, in our industry. Uh, is there advice that you would give people that are going through this thing right now that are questioning whether or not they they have what it takes to make this work? Um, first of all, I would say don't base this situation on whether you're a good business person or not. Because you really can't, right? I just think that would be, that's that kind of setting yourself up for failure situation for me. Mm -hmm. Um, What 
I know to be true. I don't know what business will look like when I come out of this. And I keep saying, I don't have a crystal ball and none of us really know. And for the people that are saying, oh, it's definitely going to look like this. Um, I'm not buying it because yeah. we don't know, you know, social distancing still could happen. I'm sure we're going to mask up. I know cleanliness will be important. I think we'll automate more. Mm-hmm. Here is what I do know. Clients want to come back. I know that I have clients. I'm in this great sweet spot where I have non hairdressers reach out to me because of the TV show Mm -hmm. and non industry people follow me. Clients have reached out to me and asked me, how do I support my hairdresser through this? Mm -hmm. How do I take care of them? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I send them money? Because I know that they're a single mom and doing it by themselves. And I budget for my appointments anyway, so I want to show up for them. I want to be there for them, give them the appointment money. Mm-hmm. So many people reach out to me with that. So will our businesses look different going forward? A hundred percent. I hope one of the things that everyone takes out of this is there are two concerns I have, that people are going to come back to work and want to discount and devalue themselves even more than our industry already does. I don't want people to do that. Mm -hmm. I understand that we're all going to be up against it. I understand a lot of people, including our own personal financial situations have changed, but that doesn't mean that we need to devalue ourselves as an industry. So many hairdressers out there do great work and they give it away. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean give it away for free. I mean, do it cheap. And don't cover their costs and don't cover their overheads and don't charge for the product that they're using and don't do all the things that they should be doing because they don't quite think they're worth it, which comes back to your imposter syndrome, right? Of course. So I want everyone to go back and know their value and know their place. And I want everyone now to start looking at their numbers, you know, and it's really unsexy. And I've I love talking about business and I know a lot of people glaze over when I start talking about yeah. P&L sheets and <laughs> math has know, never much, been a hot topic for me either. How I've never... much is that people like glaze over and go, oh. yeah. I, I know it isn't sexy, but it's really important. We need yes. to know our numbers. We need to know those breakdowns and hairdressers and barbers need to start paying themselves. Yeah. How many business owners out there work their butts off behind their chair and they pay all their bills, but they don't actually pay themselves. True. True. There's an emotional uh, connection there. I think too, an emotional equation that we uh, sometimes overlook that overrides our rational selves, you know, where the idea of this is my uh, life's work, or this is my passion project, or, you know, I care so much about the people in my chair. And, and those are all true things. And they're all required for you to survive, mm-hmm. I think, because it's the passion that draws you through the tough times. It's that fire in your belly uh, for and the love for your community that, that you know, drives you through the tough times but the the rational mathematical business sense needs to exist there as well um i think just so that you can maintain something that can keep providing uh the opportunity for you to do that work or the opportunity for those community members and that clientele to develop one of the things you said earlier about people reaching out to you going how do i help my stylist right now this is a thing that so many people have been reaching out to me about and what an amazing testament to the community that people are building behind their chair. And I think so much of our focus for education and, and the, 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 this back end of the industry has always been around how do we do a better haircut? How do we do better business? And I think that, that right now what we're seeing 
especially highlighted is how are you building your community? How are you really building relationships with your clients behind the chair? And that's not by giving them deals. That's often by giving them great service or better value for that money rather than just trying to lower the price. Because like you said, that just devalues what people perceive something is worth. That devalues our work, but it also devalues us, yeah. right? That, that literally says to someone, I'm not worth it. Yeah. I don't think I have that much value. We bring so much value. You know, I, I talked about it in a live and I had non hairdressers on there and I was saying, so I want, I wanted every person that was on there that wasn't in the industry to look at their monumental moments in life. So weddings, first dates, job interviews, school graduations, proms, you know, go through the list of all the things you've done. Who was the one person that's always been with you? Mm. The person that does your hair, right? Because you've all, you've gone to your barber, you've gone to your hairdresser and had your hair done for those moments. Yeah. Always. I mean, I think I, I didn't even notice uh, when I was in hair school, I didn't even realize, I think 25 years ago, what I was signing up for from a relationship standpoint. I've had some people's very first haircut and then their graduation and now their weddings. And, and for some, I've given their very last haircut too. Mm -hmm. and, and the emotional uh, part of that relationship that, that formed for me that I didn't expect. Yeah. And it's so huge that we do that. And that's something that shouldn't be devalued. You know, I talk about it all the time and I say we're the special source and we are because you can line all of us up in our skill set and say, do this haircut for me or do this piece of work for me. We will all execute it in a really proficient technical way. Sure. It will look really great. Mm -hmm. What we bring to it is our own artistry and creative eye mm -hmm. and imagination but we, when it's a physical client there, we bring ourself. Yeah. We bring the communication that we have with that client. We bring the beauty that we see in that client. We mm -hmm. bring that out or the conversation we've had. Mm -hmm. That's what we bring out and that's what we instill in our clients. And it's not, we make people feel good, mm -hmm. um, not just look good. Sometimes they come to us and they look fine. Yep. They just want to feel better, right? And yep. I tell a story about when I first came into this industry, I started really young. I started hairdressing when I was 14. Wow. And I would go to the salon with my mum every week and I was incredibly overweight and really picked on as a kid and I didn't fit in anywhere. And every week when I went to the salon, I would always look forward to going and my mother getting her blow dry. And I would just sit there and watch everyone. And women would come in one way and leave another. And it wasn't the physical. When you really look at a client, every single client in your chair, there is a moment of recognition when they look at themselves and they get this little twinkle in their eye, mm -hmm. they get a little smile on their face and there's this little recognition that they look and feel good. And even if it only lasts for that moment, right, mm -hmm. it's incredibly powerful and we did that. Yep. We gave them that. Yeah. I, I often think of it as uh, somebody's mirror face, 
mm-hmm. you know, because guys and girls have different mirror faces. So I, I work primarily in the men's industry. And I, I remember that look on women's faces, you know, there is this empowered look, this look of sex appeal almost, you know what I mean? And there's a, a very slight duck lip that comes out like, a, you know, but with guys, you watch their chests puff out and yeah, their, brow, 100%. their brow furrow. I 100%. always, I always do hair for the mirror face. I always do yeah, it for that. hundred percent. I mean, it happens for every client, male or female. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a feeling that we give people. Mm-hmm. And that is a really powerful thing. And as much as everyone, which is annoying the hell out of me lately, mm-hmm. is that everyone's talking about the restaurant industry and the restaurant industry. And while I support everyone in the restaurant industry, and I know that they're struggling as well. You have a, you have a dog in this fight, of course. <laughs> um, you know, like a good meal. Yeah, mm-hmm. a good meal is amazing. And you talk about it and it's life-changing and it's great and whatever. But most of us don't have those connections with our wait staff or Very the true. restaurateur, Very right? True. Or the chef, the way we do with our beauty professional. Yeah, it's We true. just don't have those relationships. And even if we do, you might go to a mind-blowing restaurant, what, mm-hmm. a couple of times a year? Mm-hmm. You're not going every four weeks, every six weeks, every eight weeks. You're just not. It's true. It's not a thing that you schedule regularly and, and would not think at all. Of, uh, one of the big challenges right now and it, that a lot of people are having is the feeling of being non-essential. Mm-hmm. And I, I always say, you know, they're not just paying you for the haircut. They're paying you for the way they feel when you, they walk out the door. Uh, I think those two things go hand in hand, but uh, that to most people makes them feel like they're just an essential part of these people's lives. And most people would regard hairstylists and barbers as mm-hmm. essential. Mm-hmm. Many, many people right now are taking or experiencing a massive blow to their own personal ego because we've been declared non-essential business, which is why most of us are shut down right now. Um, how would you answer that? So yes, we're incredibly essential. And everyone wants us to go back to work to feel better. Mm-hmm. But in this, it's about keeping each other safe, right? The, the term non-essential, it's a terrible term mm. because people are taking it to heart and going, I'm not essential, but I think I'm important in the service I provide. Our clients are still reaching out to some people going, could you just come and give me a sneaky haircut or wear a mask, <laughs> right? We've all yeah. had those clients reach out and do that. Yeah. We are essential. Mm-hmm. But right now it's about keeping everyone else safe. And it's a huge responsibility, mm-hmm. right? It's a, I take that as a responsibility. Like, I do too. To keep myself safe, yeah, that's okay. Or, you know, like we're all, we're all supposed to take care of ourselves better and take care of our health better. But you asked me to take care of someone I love or my neighbors. Yeah. I'm going to take that to heart. Yeah. And I think also just the idea of our professionalism is drawn into question as well. You know, uh, I think it's an industry where we try very hard uh, to to get out under the specter of being a, a somewhat sub profession. You know what I mean? Not like uh, as venerated as as many of the top, you know, the doctors and the dentists and whatnot, mm-hmm. even even though very few people have relationships with their doctors and dentists the way they have relationships with their stylists. But it is, a, I think, a, a situation where people are trying to, you know, feel um, sorry. It's a situation where we're trying to per you know, produce that sense of um, professionalism in, in our own industry. And I think that's part of that is, is making sure that we're doing the right thing and keeping our clientele safe, uh, providing safe service. Look, I think that's one 
that's one of the utmost things. And I think, unfortunately, um, I think the word that they picked saying non-essential yeah. for, for certain industries, it hits people in, yeah. in a different way. And I think that it is a crush to your ego. And it also feels like when you followed your passion, when you've worked your butt off in your business and when you've done all of these things, mm-hmm. you're telling me that I'm not worthy. Right. Yes. And that often validates for the people that already feel like they're not worthy or it's imposter syndrome. It's like a validation, right? Someone's just come and put that big old stamp on you and gone, yep, you're not worthy. Yeah. I don't believe that it's a really bad choice of words. For me, it really is about keeping us safe mm-hmm. and also our clients because we care about them. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've been talking to and working a lot with in Australia has taken them a minute to catch up. So Mm. um, they actually kept calling our business essential, Mm. right? So Mm. it's the opposite issue to hear. Mm. We're being told we're non-essential. So everyone's taking a hit. They're being told they are essential and they're turning up to work, but they're petrified Mm. because what if they are a carrier and make one of their clients sick and, or, their clients make them sick and what's going to happen and how do they feel? So every haircut or color service feels like Russian roulette, right? Like that's what everyone feels like. So the stress level is this totally different level. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can get caught up onto this terminology that the government chose to use of saying non-essential right now. It's, you know, we're, we're being responsible citizens and business owners and, stepping back and letting doctors and nurses and the people in grocery stores and all of those kind of things do what they need to do to make sure that we're okay. Believe me, as soon as they say we're open, we are going to be so, I won't swear, but you know the word I want to use, essential people are going to freak out. The the nice thing is is that uh, this is a podcast, so we can say the word fucking all we want. Uh, all right, well, thank it's, you. Especially <laughs> my podcast. I don't know if you know this, but like I I think I've set records for the most amount all right, of uses of the word fuck on right, stage good. before. No, so you're well, you you're know. fine. I've um, I've said it so many times on TV, but I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. We <laughs> my are favorite. Going to I, be I can't so get essential. fired. <laughs> well, we are. That's true. We are going to be essential. I agree with you. Yeah. I I think our industry is primed for a hell of a comeback after this. I I. I keep talking about, I'm really optimistic about it. And, and I know people are struggling and I know some people it's going to be hard. And I know the reality is yes, some businesses will close or some may have to consolidate or Mm -hmm. there will be different looks to it. Mm -hmm. Right. But as an industry, Mm -hmm. we're going to come back so strong because people have missed us. Agreed. Now let's talk about the industry part of it, because the industry is, of course, made up of two primary uh, kind of camps. There's the service providers and salons, and then there is the uh, product companies, you know what I mean? The, the larger or, or the manufacturers that support mm-hmm. those services. Um, one of the things we try to do very early on as a very small manufacturer myself is try and use whatever resources we had to help people, to help stylists that are going through it. Uh, we started a program where people could do an affiliate thing where, where they're getting like an obscenely high percentage where we were just making no money, but we were giving them an opportunity to earn money. 
just because we wanted to support. And we were really hoping that by doing that, we would maybe encourage other brands to step up and, and do that. And a few have, a few definitely have. But I think what I've seen mostly from the product companies in this is um, a, a, a massive desire to uh, insulate. And um, I think a lot of people have been doing maybe like live education and stuff, but I don't know about you, but I, I just don't know how many people can keep watching live after live after live all day. I feel like it's starting to have a bit of a fatigue. Yeah. Do, do you think the product aspect of our industry or the companies have stepped up in a meaningful way to support the, the boots on the ground, which are really feeling this the most right now? I don't look, to be honest, I don't know if they knew how. Mm. And, you know, that's not a criticism and it's not, you know, it's not giving, saying they did the right thing. I don't think they know how. And I think sometimes big business, right? So those big companies, they don't move as agile as small companies. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not as quick to move because they have so many layers that they have to move through. Mm -hmm. um, was I surprised that I didn't see more things happen quicker? Yeah, I was surprised. Um, are we starting to see it now? Yes. Yeah. Right. There are, there are big companies that are giving money, mm -hmm. that are giving, um, making product and hand sanitizer and things like that, which is great, but are actually mm -hmm. also putting dollars in mm -hmm. and giving it to like supporting PBA with, um, help for businesses that aren't getting any financial support from the government and things like that. So mm -hmm. they're doing that. Yeah. I, I don't know if, they knew what to do. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not covering their ass on that. I no, just, no. it was an interesting thing to sit because the people that moved quickly mm -hmm. were the people that didn't have ties or didn't have to go through layers that could just go, yep. I don't even know if it's right, but mm -hmm. here's what I'm going to do. It was just that visceral gut instinct. Mm -hmm. um, the other people it took, you know, the bigger they get, the more layers that they've got to go through to get to everything. So I guess education was the first thing. Try and keep people filled, try and keep education, mm -hmm. try and keep people motivated. And I don't think that was necessarily a bad thing, but I agree with you. I think fatigue is coming in now, mm -hmm. right? And I think people are looking at, um, I mean, even my focus, I know that I'm starting to talk about planning to go back. Yeah. What does it look like? What well, could it look like? Let's talk right? about that. I think uh, I think we should be looking, at, you know, and creating that light at the end of the tunnel for people to look forward to. Because mm -hmm. I think when we're all just sitting in it for long enough, then it feels like it'll just never end, and and it will end. And so when when we're getting back to business and whatnot, um, let's let's talk about you know shops again. Um, what are some of the things that uh, before all this happened that you uh, felt are essential to the health of a shop? Um, or, or the success of a shop uh, that you noticed often absent in, in people's business model or environment or, or it could be anything? So I think for a lot of owners, um, they're so busy working, they're not managing their business. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just it's client after client after client, behind the chair, behind the chair, and they don't actually have time to sometimes reevaluate, is this the client I want to do? And that's okay to do that, right? There's a, there's a dream client for all of us. We, we call is, it firing clients, right? Are you firing yeah, hundred percent. Like, is this my dream client? Is this, a, is this the clientele that I really want? Does this light me up and fulfill me or let me show my expertise? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. A lot of business owners are really scared because they think, so I'll speak like a female hairdresser, right? If I'm just going to specialize in blondes, Mm -hmm. that means I can't do a redhead or a brunette. It doesn't mean that at all, Mm -hmm. but it means that I'm going to talk to all the blondes out there because I know how to take care of you. I know how to answer your problems. I know how to serve your needs. I know how to get you to come into me. Mm-hmm. And if a redhead or brunette want to come, sure, I can do that as well, mm-hmm. right? And business owners get so scared of doing that because they feel like they're going to lose money or cut part of their market out when really they're just honing their expertise mm-hmm. and becoming really well-known mm-hmm. in their communities and building a really strong foundational community. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that is super, super important. Mm-hmm. I think something else, um, sorry, I have to move. I'm no, going to no. turn my camera off for a second. I think sure. something else that is really, really important mm-hmm. is working on your books, right? That's the thing that I talked about, making sure that you know what your finances are, that you're covering you're covering your nut that you know how much money you need to bring in, how much money is going out mm-hmm. um, and, and paying yourself. Mm-hmm. Something that drives me crazy in this industry is raising prices. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to be so scared about doing that now. Oh, especially but it's still now. something that is an important thing to look at and look at how, what is the business model I have? Mm-hmm. Do I have a business model where I'm going on really short appointments? People are coming in and out. I'm not doing a lot of extras. I'm not doing services. I'm not doing a lot of the other things. Or am I trying to produce a high-end experience for my guests where I'm putting my expertise and my years of knowledge and all the technique that I have? That means that it's a premium service that should be charged for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. So, you know, I've been encouraging people to work on their business while they can't work in their business. But I think the steps for getting back is looking at your finances because we're going to have to make catch up. And again, a thing that concerns me is people starting to want to cram too much into their business Mm -hmm. and just say yes to everyone without providing services and expertise that they should be providing. I think they, they say that, you know, the, the secret to success is hard to say, but the secret to failure is trying to please everyone. And that's 100% correct. And, it, and it's fine to be discerning on, on what you're doing. And I mm-hmm. think looking at what it could look like for our businesses going back with maybe keeping some social distancing going, mm-hmm. maybe... Um, having to wear masks, maybe looking at different shifts. I mean, I, for mm. business owners that have teams, I've been talking about if we did have to social distance, how could you work that into your service day? Mm-hmm. Do you extend your days? Do you extend your hours? Mm-hmm. Do you split your shifts so that you don't have as many people in the business all the time? Mm-hmm. Do you automate so clients are prepaying? or paying in the chair, mm-hmm. right? Instead of lining up at the desk. I think that's a, an interesting thing to look at too, because there is undoubtedly going to be impacts on the way we do business. And there's, I think, pushing technologies that already existed out there uh, to maybe a higher place of importance for a lot of people. Our industry has been notoriously slow at integrating technology. 
you know, we, we, for some reason, we, we have just an aversion to new technology, but there are so many out there that are available now that can make a safer opportunity for us moving forward. There's so many great POS systems. There's so many great ways that people can check out. I mean, I've been talking about if you can afford it or if you have one at home, bring your iPad in. You can't have magazines anymore. Right? Who wants to sit there and flip through a magazine that everyone's touched? No one. Absolutely. Right? So the magazines go away. Mm -hmm. But if clients aren't bringing their own reading material or if you want a reference point, either use your phone mm -hmm. or have an iPad available. Mm -hmm. Right? So there, there are all these things that we can use and we have the technology. It's a lot of people just, again, it's that change. Yeah. Right? It's that discomfort. Why do you think people fear change so much? when it comes to a business sense, especially? It's going into the unknown. I mean, it, it was always an extraordinary thing for me when I did the show that people would prefer to do the same thing, even though it was not giving them the results they wanted mm -hmm. than to do something different because that was unknown for them and that was uncomfortable. So just being this repetitive habitual mistake right that they knew the outcome would always be the same even if it was unfavorable was much better than doing something new because that would be a learning curve it would be uncomfortable you know they'd have to work on it more mm -hmm. and, and I it also moves your expectation I think trying to get people to adopt new ways of doing things too, because it's not just the business owners that are creatures of comfort. It's often the clientele as well. And trying to move them in a new direction and integrate new things uh, can often be met with that same resistance or even by staff. And I, I think one of the interesting things is um, the, the phenomenon that most people in their own mind think that they want to do what's right. Everybody wants to do what's right. I don't know too many people that are intentionally trying to do wrong. But everyone wants to do the right thing until they find it inconvenient. Mm -hmm. and, and inconvenience is, convenience is really what drives everything. And so when we talk about integrating these technologies and these things, they need to be under the, the guise of convenience for clients. You know, I, I remember when we first opened our barber shop 10 years ago, I wanted very much to be a walk-in only shop. And that's because that to me felt like classic barbering. And there wasn't a lot of barbers at the time. There's no massive barber boom there is now. So we wanted to be a walk-in only shop that lasted three whole months before the wait time was two hours long. And it was, it got to the point where even when people walking out the door weren't happy, uh, right. they had to wait two hours for, uh, you know, for an appointment. But at the same time, they also didn't want to have to go to a shop where they needed an appointment because there just seemed something not great about that. It felt like too much of a salon or too high maintenance for them. So the way around it for us was we started a program called the complimentary call ahead service, where if you simply let us know when you were coming, we would reserve your spot in line and you'd only have to wait maybe five minutes instead of two hours, which is essentially an appointment. <laughs> but, but a complimentary call ahead service was in sense a new feature, a new offer, uh, an offer we were making, you know, a service we were providing for free to them. And, uh, and that was really how we got around that convenience factor. Um, are there ways that you can think of uh, that people can implement some of these things and can communicate out to their clients uh, ways in which they're, they're going to be able to offer an enhanced or a better service coming back from this thing uh, than they were getting before without getting the backlash? Yeah, so I think communication is key. So for me, it's communicating 
through all of this to your clients, I've recommended to a lot of salons, do a weekly newsletter. Even, mm-hmm. even if things haven't changed, right? Keep communicating. Do a check-in. Do can't wait to see you. We still don't have an opening date yet. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Here are some great things that I've been working on this week. Mm-hmm. So you can give new techniques that you've been learning, right? You can do a fun update, cleaned out the cupboards, got through a week of homeschooling kids, whatever it is to keep the communication going because your clients are feeling the same pain points that you are. So that's a really key thing. When we know when we're opening and we have more of an idea of what that will look like in the new world, then we need to start using that language and communicating right? We're, we're opening this date. Here is what we're going to require clients to do for your safety, Mm -hmm. because we care about you. Mm -hmm. When you come in, you're going to have to wash your hands. We're going to have hand sanitizer on all the stations, right? We're going to make sure our appointment times are cut down. Maybe we're going to do virtual consultations before you come in to cut down your time in the salon. Yeah. Or even contactless payment, like you were mentioning, right. things like contactless that. Contactless payment. We're going to change our service menus I've talked yeah. a lot about, right? Like do bundles you're, for you're people creating a and, and give them times. And it's the way you give it to people. If you, if you tell a client that I'm doing this and it's all for you, exactly the way you did it with your appointments, mm-hmm. clients go, oh my God, that's so nice of you. Thank you. Oh. That's great. I love that. You're always you just- thinking of me. It's amazing. You know, it's great. A friend of mine uh, I was talking to by Zoom just the other day who's in Florida, uh, he had mentioned that he is actually still got his book with him. And on the time when his client's regular appointments are, he calls them and he just That's chats right. just to check in and say, hey, how you doing? Everything okay? You know what I mean? They have a 10 minute chat because so much of our relationship with our clients is social as well. And that, that nobody turned off that aspect of things. Nobody, nobody said social is forbidden right now. It's just that it's taking that initiative, like you were saying, to make sure those communication uh, lines stay strong. Because, I mean, it really does reinforce that community that you have that is supporting you when you get back. And there are some owners out there that aren't communicating with their clients. Mm. I've actually, I actually had someone tell me last week that they had an appointment coming up mm-hmm. and their stylist had still not canceled it. Like they knew that it was canceled because yeah. the city was closed down, sure. but their stylist still hadn't communicated it. Yeah. So I, I know a lot of people aren't doing it because they're scared. They don't know what to say, mm. but you can do it really short. You can text, you can call, you can do the email, you can do a little video. You know, there are so many different ways that you can keep that contact going. I talked about letting your hair color grow out, right? I'm not doing my regrowth in solidarity with clients. Nice. Well, it looks great still. <laughs> Thanks. The, the roots are coming in, but well hidden, right? But that's something that you can do for your clients as well, right? Yeah. Like I'm not doing this until you can do it mm-hmm. and make it really fun, but keep the communication going. Here's an idea for the shops out there. We actually started something called the Wolfpack Challenge and we did it on, online. So we let people participate online and we're giving out prize packs for people that have the worst, like craziest outgrowth. And it's been really fun. Like it, it's just a, a fun way of encouraging people to wait 
rewarding them and, and also even encouraging them maybe to grow their hair out just a little bit because a lot of clients have often mentioned wanting to try something like that but have a hard time getting through the awkward phase. And what better time is there to get through the awkward phase when then they're in quarantine and not out in public? I think this is an ideal opportunity for so many of us to actually suggest change to our clients because one of the number one reasons why clients leave a hairstylist is boredom. That's the number one 100%. reason. And it's often because there's just no other suggestions made or, or the idea that you, we, could, we could change this up. There is other options. And if they're never discussed, then they maybe just correctly assume that you don't know how to do anything else. Well, And now, and now we have the time. So that's yeah. why I've been saying have virtual consultations, right? Do a virtual consultation with the client. Mm-hmm. Find out what they're looking for. Or even reach out and say, hey, Remember when we talked about changing that color or doing this haircut? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure you've grown out more now, so mm-hmm. we could actually do that. Here's a couple of pictures for you. <laughs> right? I love and that. Yeah. I talked about I don't care for Pinterest, but I love Pinterest from a creative point of view because all the images are there. Sure. It's a great way to grab a couple of images, send them to a client and say, you know, here are some things that I thought would work really well for you or follow up after a virtual consultation and do it. Mm -hmm. Clients are going to, as you say, open their mind. Mm -hmm. A couple of things are going to happen when they come back in, they're going to want makeovers Mm -hmm. because they're going to want makeovers, right? They're going to feel like they need everything redone mm-hmm. and it's a refresh and a reboot. That means a lot of change. I also think coming out of this, that people will, they've walked through the fire. <laughs> so when yeah. they get to the other side, right, they're not going to be as scared about cutting another inch off their hair. Yeah, I think that or mirror. Or making their hair a little blonder, right? <laughs> like they're going to go, I've just gone through the fire. Yep. I've just been at home for how long, right? Like I've had my kids, I've done this. I haven't killed my husband. I've, <laughs> you know, like walked away from my business. I'm so ready to yep. cut that fringe that I never said I would do before because I'm not as much as a wuss anymore. Yes, very few things are going to seem, uh, a lot of things I think are going to seem very petty in comparison to some of the struggles that people have been dealing with. But I think that mirror face is going to be like times a million on the other side of this thing because people are going through that prolonged period where they're not feeling it. And I yeah, think 100%. And that's you're not, right. But, but you see, that's the opportunity. And I think it's, it's holding, for the people that might be having a hard time holding that opportunity, mm-hmm look at that for a second, like look at that opportunity and what it opens up for you. It opens up that you can keep that communication going. You can have those virtual consultations. You can set a different language pattern with your clients of what is required from them Mm -hmm. and how you're going to do this moving forward. People don't like change when it's thrown on them. Yep. When you introduce them to change, Mm -hmm. right? Or you tell them what the new is going to be and they know the steps they're going to walk through it's not as scary it's when it's just thrown on you that that fight or flight kicks in all right tab this has been a really awesome conversation i really appreciate it i'm just gonna ask you a couple of quick questions at the end uh because i really want to know a couple of things number one um when it comes to this hair industry what is your number one pet peeve Shit. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> it's really hard to pick one. Um, 
I mine, is, mine is cleverly named salons, like clever names. You know what I mean? Anything that has the word like sheer or curl up and die. There's 900 of them, not to throw any specific ones under the bus. It's just like clever names for shops. It drives me crazy. It's my pet peeve. Oh, it it's, does? Not, it's not bad. It's just my pet peeve. Um, you know what? My, my pet peeve still and always will be just unprofessionalism. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's... does my head in. It really does. Absolutely. What's uh, what is the best thing you've ever seen in in a salon that you've had to go into to 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 check out or give advice to? Oh, the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, was it like one of the so, best ideas you've come across or best things that you've seen there? Um, I'm obsessed with this new piece of technology that's in our industry at the moment. So I went to a friend salon a while ago, and they have it, and that was all I played with all day. <laughs> <laughs> are you a gearhead? Are you are you techie? I am a techie, but this is just this amazing mirror that does like helps us with consultations and puts all these virtual things on there. I know the one and you're talking about. Yeah, I'm I'm so obsessed with it. Is it really cool? Get, yeah, friggin' just rad, really yeah. rad. Yeah. I, I've I've seen it. It looks like a sci-fi movie a little bit. You know what I mean? That it it's yeah, it's amazing. Just, it, it looks like something you'd see from the Matrix or something. I think it's really yeah. cool. That's that's neat, and I think more stuff like that is likely coming. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think it's revolutionary. Um, it's one of those things that I've never seen before, especially in our industry, and I think it's a game changer. But I think people are a little scared of it at the moment, so they don't quite know what to do with. I just think it's genius. I could play with yeah. it all day. I think so too. I think I can't wait to get my hands on one of those. Uh, I am going to ask you this. If tomorrow the quarantine ended, all clear, all good, what's the first thing you're going to do? I need a haircut so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think we call that playing to the just, audience. Did you, I, do no, you not I, cut your own hair? Do you absolutely against cutting your own hair? No, I'm so not against cutting my own yeah. hair. I whack at it all the time. But <laughs> I have made this solidarity thing. Yeah, me too. I'm, that I'm I am woolly. <laughs> I'm not cutting and I'm not colouring my hair until this is over. Yeah. And it's doing my head in. I cannot stand it. I just want to take a clipper and just whack <laughs> it all off. <laughs> have you ever done that? Have you ever just gone shaved? Have you, what's the shortest yeah, you've gone? You've years, gone shaved right down. Shaved all the way off for wow. years and years and years and years. It was my absolute favorite. Really? But I was younger. I was oh. younger and I was, I don't know if I was any cuter. I like to tell myself I was cuter, but I was a hell of a lot younger. But yeah, I used to, I shaved my head for, I don't know, maybe eight years before it was like the thing. Yeah. Was it, was it just an act of, of uh, you know, kind of... Um, I found it really from? freeing. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I re can... it's really freeing. I love short hair. Mm -hmm. um, I love short hair on me. I love short hair in general. It works for my, for my hair. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, clearly, I'm not that girly girl that spends all that time doing a hair. And if I have hair, I look like Miss Piggy, right? Because I <laughs> flick it and I do things and I turn into Miss Piggy all of a sudden, which is really not a cute thing for me. There are a um, few things you've said today that I've had a hard time picturing. Number one, I've, I've had a hard time picturing you as, as an awkward, uh, picked on teenager. Uh, I've had a very hard time picturing you as Miss Piggy. <laughs> Um, but I can completely relate to both of those things. So, yeah. uh, maybe not the Miss Piggy part. Shaved head was great. Just super, super freeing and really amazing. Everyone else had a hard time with it. I thought it was genius. 
I love that. I love that. Well, you know what? I just, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to be with us today. It's been great to get to spend time with you. I've been meaning to sit down and talk to you forever. And I always love running into you at these shows, even if it's very brief. Uh, and you always seem to have this amazing uh, project on the go whenever I talk to you too. I think two out of three times I've run into you, you're introducing me to a new project or somebody that I need to know, or you're a great connector of people. And and uh, I think that you are an extraordinary leader in this industry. Well, thank you. And uh, it's an industry that uh, God knows we need more of them. So thank you very much for the role that you played and, and for being so honest and genuine. Uh, I, I just couldn't be a bigger fan of you. So thanks for your time today. Thank you. All right, everybody, that was another episode of Whiskey Tango Foxtrot with my host, Tabitha Coffee. Tabitha Key, tell them where they can find you on Instagram. It is Tabitha Coffee on Instagram, Tabitha with an A, not with an I. All right, and make sure you guys go check out her book, Own It. Thanks very much for joining us this week, everybody. We're going to see you again next week for another exciting episode. Bye-bye.